congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, with Article 17 of the Belgian Confession, we, as God's people, confess that God in his perfect wisdom and goodness set out to seek fallen man who had plunged himself into physical and spiritual death and had become totally miserable, and he promised him a savior who would come to crush Satan's head. Then with Article 18, we confess that God, after he had repeated this promise many times by the mouth of many holy prophets and foreshadowed it by the law, fulfilled the promise by sending his only begotten son into the world to become a true man who was without sin. And in Article 19, we confess that God's son, although he had become a true man, remained true and eternal God, eternal Son of God, while retaining his divine nature, took upon himself a real human nature, and these two natures became forever inseparably united in the one person of our mediator, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this afternoon, with Article 20, we will look at God's purpose, God's reason for promising and sending his only begotten son. And we do that under the team, God sent his son to satisfy his wrath over our disobedience. And in doing this, he showed, first of all, that's our first point, his perfect justice, and on the second is his perfect mercy. And thirdly, his perfect love. So, brothers and sisters, imagine that you are on a vacation somewhere and, and you meet a stranger, maybe someone camping beside you or that you meet in a restaurant, and you begin to talk to that person and soon a nice discussion developed about the Christian faith and you discover that you have the love for your Savior in common with this person. Be nice. And so then encouraged, you begin to talk about God, that he is just, and that he cannot and will not tolerate sin because he is perfectly righteous and holy. You talk about your desire and effort to live according to God's commandments and be completely on a roll now. You speak of God's holiness and justice, over his wrath, over sin, so clearly revealed in the stories of the Old Testament and also in the things that we see happening in our time. Talk about his, the wonder of his long-suffering and grace. You do all that. And in the meantime, the person that you've been talking to, the, he has, gets, gets a kind of a puzzled look on his face. And he starts to talk to you, and he sounds even somewhat offended. He interrupts you and basically says, what are you talking about? The God of the Old Testament, you and I are living in the New Testament. 
My God, he said, is the God of the New Testament. He is the God of love, the God of forgiveness, and of comfort and of help in our lives here and now. Don't you know that the God of justice and wrath, that's the God of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is now all fulfilled. And in the New Testament, we have Jesus who loves people. And God is now our Father and he loves us too. Goes on and he says, God now reveals himself by sending his son as the God of love. And you shouldn't be talking about an angry God and a God who judges and even condemns people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Don't you believe that? Can you imagine this? Someone who on other accounts seemed to be a sincere believer, saying that he loves the Lord Jesus Christ, saying something like that to you. What, what would you say? You see, such, such a discussion that it could take place is not so very far-fetched, because this is really what a lot of Christians believe. In our time, they believe that because... Uh, uh, all this because they have not so much use for confessions and doctrine and so. All that stuff makes believing way too complicated. Please, let's keep it simple. I have, they say, I have no creed but Christ, and I believe that doctrine is, divides and love unites. And so it is that so many who claim to be Christians... They'll say a lot of good about the Lord Jesus Christ, but they don't really know him. They don't really know God. And they form their own ideas of what the Bible is about. If only they would have hung on to what, for example, Article 1 of our Belgian Confession so nicely summarized about God... Only would know and believe that, that God is, says Article 1, a simple being, meaning, of course, that God is not divided, but that he is one. And that he is one, that means then that all God's attributes, all God's characteristics, such as his love and his mercy, his wisdom and his goodness, his righteousness and his justice and his wrath over sins and sinners, are not separated from each other. But they are also one. So we must believe that God is the God of love and, and of wrath against sin. He's the God of justice and of mercy and of grace and of righteousness. All at once, at the same time. And never is any of those attributes in conflict with the other. Now, if you keep that in mind, then you must, because that is how God reveals himself to us, then you would know that this person you were talking to cannot be right by saying that his or her God is the God of the New Testament and not the God of the Old. And then you know that the God who reveals himself in the Old Testament 
Testament and the New Testament is the same God who is immutable. That means he cannot change. There's no change. Do you know that the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is not just the loving part of God revealed only in the New Testament, but that he is the Word and the Lord also of the Old Testament, that he is one with God the Father, who just as the Father does not change. So as we read in Hebrews 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now all this is why our article for this afternoon is so important. So let's read, read the very first full sentence of this article again. Let's allow it on to sink in for a couple seconds, and then I hope that you all cannot help yourself, but just stand totally in awe of what it says. Just read along. It says, we believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, sent his son to assume that nature in which disobedience had been committed, to make satisfaction in that same nature and to bear the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion, suffering, and death. If you think that over, and let that sink in, then you, you, can, you cannot anything, do anything else than coming to the conclusion that here only fits worship and praise and adoration. But would it be a sign of callousness and, and thankfulness if he would be able to read this and just go on? Take it for granted, so to speak. What we read here, we should never get used to. It is so absolutely and literally out of this world. God sent his son, whom he loves, to take the punishment that his enemies deserve. Enemies. It's what the Bible says. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God punished his son for your sin with the most bitter suffering and death. And it is a suffering which no creature is able to Imagine a suffering as unearthly as hell itself. Punished his beloved and only son with a death more bitter, more abysmal than any creature in all of the history of the world ever died. He did that so that we may live. He did this because he took pity because he promised the one who would crush Satan's head. He promised and did this because, for reasons that we cannot begin to fathom. He loved you while you were still sinners, while you were still enemies, 
and he wanted you to be his child. No matter the cost. And he did this because he is merciful and just, says our article. He applied, he exerted his justice against his only begotten and beloved son. And he poured his mercy out upon, upon you. This is what's so passionately described in our scripture reading, Isaiah 53. But he was, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned from his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And so God applied his perfect justice to his only begotten son. Not one sin. Not one sin. However grotesque or seemingly harmless, all of God's people sin. Not, not any of God's people's sin was forgotten. God the Father, it says, laid all our iniquity on him. And so our, the Son of God became our perfect Savior. So, brothers and sisters, in the Lord, young and old, was there ever in your life a sin so cruel, so vile, so dirty and tenacious that you cannot imagine Forgiveness for it. Something that you cannot forgive yourself, you're living with it. And you doubt that God is willing to forgive it. Do you have those things? You have little faith. God laid all your iniquity upon him. He said, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He said, I have swept you away your offenses like a cloud. Your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. takes faith to believe that. I've redeemed you by sending my son to become in all things like you except for sin. And by laying on him all your iniquities, all your sins. Yes, you might think, but you have no idea what I have done. You have no idea what... what Sometimes goes on in my mind. No, 
I have no idea. But just look up to him on the cross who said to a violent criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. Look at him who sent his apostle to proclaim to you, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot deny himself. By him is forgiveness for all your sins because God applied his perfect justice against his son. God applied his perfect justice against his son and poured out all his wrath over all your sins upon him. God also poured out his goodness and mercy on us, as we'll see now in our second point. Look at his perfect mercy. And then our, our article reads, God therefore manifested his justice against his son when he laid our iniquity on him and poured out his goodness and mercy on us who were guilty and worthy of damnation. In sending his son, God the Father did not only satisfy his justice by pouring out all of his wrath, but by the same very, very same act, he also poured out his mercy on us, upon you and upon me. And who are we? We are the ones that says we are guilty and worthy of damnation. We are the guilty ones, but we did not receive what we deserved. And that is just mercy with a capital N. Filled with compassionate mercy, God the Father saw you in your sin and poured out, just hear the abundance of it, he poured out his goodness and mercy on you who were guilty. You see, we, we are the ones that have turned his beautiful and perfect, peaceful and harmonious creation into the veil of tears it now is, into that den of violence, a pool of suffering into a house of rebellion. That's what we have done. Even now, hospitals full of suffering. The grieving cries of those who, whose loved ones are murdered. Mass graves all over the world. Little baby moanings for long not satisfied hunger. Explosions ripping apart families in malls and markets, silent cries of millions of little human beings that were never allowed to see the light of the sun. That's, that's what we made of it. That's what we made of it. There's no doubt the world there that made it of it. We did. The active part in that. Now, if, if, if that, the things in that list offend us, who are but sinners, who purposely rebelled against God, how much more him who is good and righteous and holy and just? What in the world can make up for all this to him who made it very good? Who in the world may expect to receive mercy from him? 
see there is nothing and no one in this world who can make up for this. The cattle of all the beasts of the mountains, the plains, the forests, the desert cannot be sufficient a sacrifice to wipe out our guilt. Not ever. The whole of humanity's suffering, the worst tortures in hell cannot wipe it out. That's why hell is forever. But God, God is merciful and good. And he is just from out of this world. He is from the heavenly realms. And so from his own bosom, he, so to speak, he provides a lamb that is sufficient for sacrifice. He sent his son to become in all things like us so that he might be the sacrifice that satisfied our debts and still and stills God's wrath. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. See, that is the significance of the Son of God being led away to be crucified and Barabbas set free. See the wonder of him promising paradise to a guilty one just before he dies to death that he deserved. Snatched as a burning stick from the fire. From Mark 10, verse 45, we hear the Lord Jesus say to us this afternoon, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the word of God to you here, to you for whom your sins are really like a mountain. He said so and he did so because he had come to do the will of his father. And it was the father's will to apply his justice against him and to pour out his goodness and mercy upon you. From John 10, you hear him say to you, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I receive from my father. Pour out his mercy upon us who are guilty. And what else could have moved God the Father to do this than his infinite love? As we read about it in Jeremiah 30, 31 verse 3, where it says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. So, Let's focus for a moment then upon that love in our third point.
Her article again, out of a most perfect love, he gave his son to die for us and raised him for our justification that through him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. He raised him for our justification that through him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. The same love that of God that moved him to pour out his goodness and his mercy on us also moved him to raise his son from the dead. You see, after our Savior had lived that perfect life of obedience that we should have lived, a life of perfect righteousness, and after they had made that perfect sacrifice, after they had paid the whole penalty of of our guilt and our sins, and so wiped out our death, after he fully satisfied God's justice and wrath over our sin, our Savior called out with a loud voice, it is finished. Everything was accomplished. The life that we were supposed to live before him, he had lived in our behalf. He had taken our punishment upon himself. And now it was all finished. It was man, God and man were reconciled. And because of this, and only because of this, did the father on the third day, out of his perfect love, raise his son from the dead. Why? Because it was God the Father testifying, yes, it is finished. That's why it says that he was raised for our justification so that we know that God is satisfied. That God now ascribes all Christ's righteousness to you. Think about that. Tonight, before you go to sleep, ask the Lord for forgiveness of your sins. And that not only your sins are forgiven, done away with, forgotten. And that God looks upon you as, if you're as righteous as Christ himself. Now you can sleep. That's what God the Father is testifying when he raised the Lord Jesus from the dead for our justification. And it's not only his son, not only him he would raise, not only him he would exalt. Because of that same most perfect love that God the Father will also raise and exalt everyone who believes in his son. By raising his, his son, God the Father testified that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. He bore all God's wrath over our sins and so satisfied his justice. And now all who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ in body and soul, both in life and in death, God declares just. He ascribes Christ's righteousness to you. That's just what we call justification. And so now no one, not even your own conscience, nor the great accuser of our souls is, is able to bring an, a valid charge against, against you. It is God who justified, 
who is he that condemns? He raised his son for the sake of our justification. And even here, does the love of God not stop? Because it moves God to do even more. For now, together with his son, he sends his Holy Spirit in us, to us and in us, to make us holy. To make us more and more into the image of his son. And he is working that every day. Every day he looks upon you with, with a patience that you cannot begin to imagine. He sees us struggling and stumbling with every commandment. And he keeps on loving us. And he keeps on forgiving us. And he keeps on ascribing Christ's righteousness to you as if you have never sinned. He's forming you to the image of his son. So that one day we shall be like him and have, as our article says, immortality and life eternal. Immortality and life eternal. And it's not meant to be redundant. On the day of our Lord's return, all people those who have believed and those who have not believed will be, will be raised and receive immortality. Also, those who have not believed in this perfect Savior sent by God the Father, they also receive immortality, but they receive it to be dying an eternal death in hell. Only those, only those who believe in and belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll receive life eternal. He will take all of us, brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ to himself and will bring us in the house of his Father where he has prepared a place for us. And then God will be all in all God will unceasingly provide us with reasons for joy. Without stopping, he gives us reasons to adore him, our triune God, forever and ever. He will bestow upon us the glory that our Savior had before the world was. Forever will God delight in us and love us as his children. Forever, we will be very vividly aware of his approval every moment, every breath we take, and of his love. Forever will we live to the full. We will have life and love as there always have been between God the Father and God the Son. For we are now part of the Son, we are his body. We share everything with him. Also that love that the Father from eternity had with him. We will share in it fully. And so forever we may walk before him as Psalm 89 sings with our countenances beaming from the brightness that from his face is streaming. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, they must set your heart aglow. Glow with love and gratitude for your God. Oh yes, did his love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what else can we do than to worship and to adore our God? So let's do that together and join our voices and sing, Behold, the amazing gift of love the Father has bestowed upon us, the sinful sons of men, to call us sons of God.